Let me, see, let me see if you got your Bibles with you. And I want you to go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. If you got your message notes and your worship guide or on your mobile device, want to get those ready, get your journals out. And we're going to have a really good time today in just exploring God's Word. But also, as you heard uh, Chris say at the beginning of our message, and uh, Brandon's going to say at the end, there's so much going on. Uh, we celebrate today Pentecost Sunday. and we, we honor the presence of the Holy Spirit here today. Uh, we have life groups launching, which is amazing. Uh, we do have theme days every other week to kind of remind us about missions focus we have throughout the summer and all of that stuff you can find out in your worship guide but especially at the welcome center where you can get all that information okay all right if you've got Ephesians chapter 6 we're going to be getting into the second part of a series that we have entitled if I can get my computer to work ah there it is spiritual authority and it is the idea that all around us is a spiritual world we have angels and demons and all this kind of thing going on. And what we want to talk about is talk about the reality that there is a spiritual war all around us. It, it's not a matter of whether or not you decide that that's the thing. The reality is, is what are you going to do about that thing? And so we're going to talk about how God has not left us helpless in this, but that he has given us hope and an opportunity to stand in freedom in this area of our life. And the idea also is just kind of getting our minds around this, because if we're honest, some of us, we talked about last week, a lot of what we believe about the spirit world comes from pop culture or comes from social media or uh, TikTok theology. Lord, pray for us if, we're, if that's our jam right now. Or just the idea of I don't know. And so we just want to fill in what God's Word has to say, and then you decide what to do with it from there. And so there's a lot of ways for us to get our mind around the spirit world all around us that we can't see it, but we're affected by it. Last week, we talked about germs. Uh, this week, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this, but one of the best explanations I ever heard was the idea of the wind. Jesus actually used this in John chapter 3. Like you can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. It's a wonderful way to think about the wind. And I want to give you um, a homework assignment. If your neighbor right now, if your neighbor is looking at you as though they have no idea what I'm talking about, this is what I want you to do. This is an example of what the spirit world is like. I want you to invite them to lunch today, go to a restaurant, and order something that has all onions and garlic, okay? Eat that meal and then start talking to them and enunciate every word. Hi, how are you doing? And then just blow the wind of garlic all over them and onions. And they're going to be, they're going to say, I was affected by something I couldn't see. All right. And they're going to know from then on, they'll never forget the spirit world is we can't see it, but we're affected by it. And if you do that, don't let me know and don't send me any emails. That's their fault because they took me up on it. All right. All right, that's, that's the idea, is how do we interact with this invisible world? And so the goal of the series, if you're taking notes, I want to write this down. The goal of the series is, the goal of the series is to establish the reality of our spiritual enemy and God's plan for the, for the body of Christ to walk in daily spiritual authority. Like God has not left us defenseless but we can walk in daily spiritual authority. Let's dive into this. We're gonna read some of what we did last week and then we're gonna pick up from there. God's word says this, it says a final word. Now, we talked about this, that this is the end of the book of Ephesians and we just finished a, a 500 year series <laughs> entitled Practicing Resurrection, but it was a slow walkthrough of what it looks like after we become Christ followers, how do we grow in that? And so chapter one and two, Paul spends a lot of time talking about who we are in Christ and then who we are as the body of Christ. And he said that us together is this wonderful, mysterious masterpiece. And then chapter three, he said, if we could just get our minds around this, we would never stop growing in the goodness of God. 
And then chapter four and five, he said, now that you know who you are, let's get to work. Let's learn how to do life together, learn how to do life with God, and then realize the power of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the ability to, to walk in mutual submission with one another. And then he said, okay, now that you've got all of that and you're ready, a final word, you're gonna need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In other words, there's a spiritual enemy that doesn't like that you know who you are in Christ and doesn't like that we're walking together in unity and all of that. And so you need to stand strong in his, God's power and in his mighty power and put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies or plans of the devil. So in other words, we're going to partner with God and we're going to stand against the devil. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. After the battle, you will still be standing firm. And then this is what he says, and we're going to talk about today. Therefore, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. And so after all of that, he said that, that the enemy's got a plan for your life, God's got a plan for your life. And God, Jesus, through the cross, has won the victory. Our job is to stand in the victory that he has given us. And the first thing he said is to put on the belt of truth. Now, let me kind of share with you what's going on. Paul is in a, a Roman prison. Now, he doesn't know it yet. He's got a pretty good idea, but he doesn't know it. He's never going to get back to Ephesus. Within a, two or three years of this time, he's going to be martyred for his faith. But while he is there and he is writing this letter to this church, he's, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he's going, how can I help these guys understand what we look like spiritually? That we're not just vulnerable and we're not just victims of circumstance, but man, we are mighty in God. How can I help them understand? And then he probably looks over and goes, that's exactly what we look like. Because he was in prison and there's Roman soldiers all around him. There's some uh, historical accounts that said that they may have actually been chained to him because so, he was a political prisoner and he didn't, they didn't want him to get away even though he wasn't going anywhere. And so he's looking right at this Roman soldier the most elite fighter in the world at the time. And he goes, that is exactly what we look like spiritually. And so he just starts to write. He said, we need to put on the characteristics, the identity of Christ. And it looks like armor, just like this Roman soldier, so that spiritually we can stand in the victory that God has already given us. And so the first thing that he sees is this belt of truth. And he says, that is the primary centerpiece. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But he said, what, what is the centerpiece that holds all of this together? And he said, the belt of truth. Jesus said this about truth. He said, you are, my, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, to the truth of what I'm telling you. And if you do this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Paul says the centerpiece of the armor is going to be the belt of truth. The centerpiece of the armor of God in our lives is going to have, be having a correct understanding of what truth is. And Jesus says that you can actually know the truth and that that truth can have an, a positive effect on your life. And so if you're taking notes, as we get into the first part of this armor that we don't put on physically, we put on spiritually, the big idea today is the church stands in victory because through Jesus... We know the truth, and the truth sets us free. So we stand already in the victory that Christ has won for us, and because of Jesus, we know this truth, and this truth sets us free. So we're going to talk today about a Roman 
belt of truth. And so before we do that, I'm just curious, how many of you in here have a belt on right now? Let me see. Don't take it off. Okay, I'm going to take, I have two belts on because I didn't trust myself. I didn't want to have anything that ended up on YouTube. You know, some of my pants fall down, so I got another one. But how many, let me see, how many of you got a belt on? Is it just me or does yours start looking weird after you wear it a few times? You know, it starts whatever. Now, how many of you have a belt on that has no other job than to complete the ensemble? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, okay. So yes, uh, that, that is part of the deal now. A lot of times our belt is a fashion statement. It is what it is. But back in the day, a Roman belt looked very, very differently. But it still kind of had the same function. And that is, for many of us that require a belt, it, number one, keeps our pants where they're supposed to be. It, number two is it keeps our shirt where it's supposed to be if it's tucked in. And number three is it kind of just not only does that, but it keeps us from embarrassing ourselves, right? It's, it's, it has a vital role of keeping everything where it's supposed to be. Now, I discovered this one time uh, when I was uh, trying to catch a flight. So I, was, uh, I had plenty of time when I got to an airport and I needed to get through security and get to my plane. And I was in Dallas, Texas at the time. And if you've ever been to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, it is a small city, okay? And I got there with plenty of time. I wanna say that again, plenty of time to get to my airplane. However, the line was abnormally long to get through security. And have you ever had one of those moments when you first look at a line and you go, that's fine. That's why I'm early. It's going to be fine. And then as the line decides not to move, you go from being fine to being fine to being angry. You go through all the stages of grief. And then finally you go, I'm going to miss my flight. And so you're panicked. Well, that's what starts to happen. And so, of course, I've got my belt off. I've got my shoes off. I've got everything out of my bag. I go through security. I go through there. I finally you know, go, go through the, the scanner thing over and over again. And as I am being released by security to go to my flight, I hear over the intercom, James Cannon, that's my first name, James Cannon, we need you to report to gate whatever it was because we need to take off. And I realize it's in another country from where I'm at right now. I'm not going to make it. And so I know what I should have done, but I'm going to tell you what I did done. All right? What I actually did is I took my shoes in one hand and my bag. I took my belt in another hand, and I just took off. And I got about 10 steps before I started to run like a penguin because my pants, I was a reason why I wore a belt. And, but I was running so late that I didn't think I had time to put my belt back on. So I ran like a penguin all the way across there. And I was so distraught that when I was on the ferry thing, didn't occur to me to put my belt back on. I just kind of was just hoping for the best, you know. And, and people were laughing at me. People were asking if I needed help. You know, I couldn't talk to them because I was out of breath. I was just grunting, just like, you know, and just kind of kept on going, you know. And it was so bad that when I came around the corner and the ladies at the desk who had, at this point, they have said, final call for James Cannon, we will leave you. They see me, wait, wait, that they both just, one lady fell to her knees. I'm serious. The other one just bent over and started laughing. And then over the intercom, they said, Mr. Cannon, you can stop running. We'll wait on you. <laughs> you know. And she, when I got there, she said, sir, well, you just go ahead and put your bag right here and go to the bathroom and, and, and compose yourself. We won't leave you, I promise. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. And it never occurred to me until I was on the plane. I should probably put this back on, you know. And, and after that, I now wear, uh, I wear shorts or sweatpants that don't require a belt anymore. That's how I make it through security from now on. That's the lesson learned. But the reality is, a lot of times in our life as Christ followers, we, we, we have this idea of truth, but we don't put it on. 
And so the problem is, is because we don't know what to do with it, that we've got it in our hand and the whole time. It's actually supposed to be the centerpiece of who we are. But since we don't know what to do with it, we try to do life without it. And we end up running spiritually like a penguin. We're we're running, we're embarrassing. We feel embarrassed half the time. People don't know what to say to us, how to depend on us. We just just end up being chaos because we've got this thing called truth, but we don't really know what to do with it. And some people, since we don't know what to do with it, we don't put it around us and we don't use it as a utility. We use it as a weapon. And we use it and we throw it at people because that's the only thing we know what to do with truth. Other people, we think we've got truth, and so we put it on like, like some kind of rite of trophy or something like that. And the whole point of truth is not to wear it like a rite of passage or to use it as a weapon, but to use it as a resource to help us know how to stand in victory. But the reality is, is we got to know what it is and know how to put it on so that it quits becoming just some weird thing. When the reality is, I wonder for many of us, and I wonder for myself, I would have been able to save myself some embarrassment, save myself from not being able to help others who were asking me if I needed help, if I just knew what to do with it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment and we're just going to just dissect what truth is. I was telling my wife this morning as I was studying for this message, any of the, the biblical commentaries that I have that are 20 years and older almost had nothing on this. It was God's truth gives us a foundation, moving on. Because up until about 20 years ago, truth was not a hard thing to define. But all of the commentaries I have that were published from about 2000 and later was 10, 15, 20, 25 pages on this one subject. Because more than ever, now this definition of truth is up for debate. But the reality is God's word actually has something to say about this. And so in order to talk about kind of the three basic definitions of truth, I want to tell you a quick story I heard about uh, umpires, baseball season. And I heard this story one time, there were, there were three umpires, and they were uh, debating, kind of arguing over what their job was. The first umpire said, well, there are balls and strikes. My job is to call them what they are. That, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm just supposed to call what they are. Well, the second umpire said, no, 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 no. Yes, there are balls and strikes, but my job is to tell it the way I see it. Like, I, I tell what I see. That, that's my job. Well, the third umpire was like, no, both of y'all are wrong. I mean, let's get this straight. There are balls and strikes, but they ain't nothing till I call it. <laughs> so my, my job is, is, I, is I make it what it is. And the reality is, is those are the three definitions for truth in the world today. You've got one group of people that says truth is objective and independent. Objective is observable. Like I can see foundational truth and it is separate from me and there it is. My job is just to call what is. The second, which would be modern relativism, which says truth is subjective to how I see it. In other words, you have your truth and I have my truth. Now, I have a lot of mercy for people who feel this way because I get that mainly what they're saying is, is this is how I have related to truth. This is my experience with truth. This is my opinion or my point of view. The problem is, is when you use the word truth, you're changing it from what has been the definition up until about 20 years ago. These two, I think they can communicate with one another. The third one, which has only been around for about 10 years as far as in the public conversation, is the one that concerns me the most, and it's postmodern relativism, which says truth is a construct. I create truth. The first one says truth is independent of me. My job is to understand what it is and how to navigate in the world where it exists. The second one says truth is subjective to my experience. The third one says there is no such thing as truth. There's just me. And I create my reality based on what I want that truth to be. Now, 
you've got to decide what you think truth is. But according to God's word, the definition of truth, you, using the truth of God's word and over several, several scriptures, I want to give you what I believe a biblical worldview definition of truth is and that you have to decide if you agree with me or not. Here it is. I think a definition of truth is an objective standard. Objective is an observable standard by which reality is measured. It's an objective standard by which reality is measured. In other words, we need a truth that is separate from us. And that's what, according to God's word, what it speaks of, when it speaks of truth, if you pull out all of the passages of truth and you look at it, what it seems to indicate is that truth is something that stands apart from us as a foundational thing that has nothing to do with us. Our job is to understand it and play according to its rules. In other words, it doesn't care how I feel about it. it we, we, can, we can not like it, but it doesn't change what it is. An example of this would be gravity. Now, there are some truths that are subjective because they're opinions, that's what subjective truth is, is it is an encounter with a foundational truth. And I'm trying not to get too weird and philosophical here. I'm just trying to create a foundation we can all build on. But gravity is a foundational truth. Objective truth says that no matter how I feel about it, if I walk off this stage, Brandon's going to have to come help me up because I'll probably break something, right? Because I'm going to fall, all right? That's objective truth. Subjective truth, if I've never fell off a stage before, is my truth is I'm going to keep walking because that's what I want it to be. Now, the, the reality is, is I walk off and I fall. Now I have an objective truth. The third one, which is the one I'm concerned about the most, is the one that says there is no gravity unless I deem it to be so. The problem with that is, is you can't even talk to that person because no matter what you say, that's your opinion. And so there's never a truth that actually applies to both of you, which is why you have to be so very careful, but then also why you have to be careful to not get mad and frustrated at people who see truth that way because you have to understand their worldview is so very different. And so you got to come back to a place and not start arguing and yelling because you're not even talking about the same reality. And so you've got to come back to it. So that's why I say we don't want to use truth as a weapon to hit somebody with. We want to understand their point of view so then we know how to talk with them about what truth is. And so here's, I want to give you three foundational objective truths, that, which is why we need a truth of God's word that has nothing to do with us. Here's the first one, is because the devil's top weapon is deception. The reason why we need an objective truth that is not our weapon nor our, our, our trophy, but yet it becomes how we do life is because the enemy is going to try to distort truth as much as he can. Therefore, I need a truth that doesn't originate with me because I don't always trust me. And I don't always trust that the enemy's not distorting it. Look at all the way back in the book of Genesis. What did the devil do first? Is he distorted the truth of God's words in order to deceive Eve. And what the enemy will do is he will take truth and then he will distort it through lies, through a lens of different lies, so that we now see something that's not there. But if we don't know a truth that's outside of us, we don't know what else to believe. Let me give you an example. The fact that God's word says that Jesus is loving and caring and he is our Lord and our King. Well, if, we, if our truth is subjective to us, then the enemy can lie to us and he can make us think that Jesus is hateful and aloof. I use the word aloof because when's the last time you ever heard that word? Okay, yes. So I, I was like, I mean, it's a fun word to say, aloof, right? That's hilarious. Okay, anyway, anyway. And also instead of Lord and King, he's an optional hero. You know, I 
it's great as long as it works. If salvation in Christianity works for you, you use it. If you don't have to, you don't have to. Why? Because all truth is subjective. That's why I need a truth outside of me so I know when something is real and when it's not. How about this one? Have you heard this one? The idea that people disagree with me could mean that people hate me. Well, if you have, if you have a truth that is subjective to you, it can sound pretty terrible. It can be horrible if someone's saying something with a bunch of vitriol and a bunch of hatred and all this kind of stuff. Well, if I don't have a truth that stands outside of myself in which to look at this, now everybody that disagrees with me hates me, and so I end up on an island all by myself, which is exactly what the enemy wants to do. Another one is, is the idea that I want something. Well, have you earned it? Well, it doesn't matter because I want it, so therefore I must deserve it, which is why I need a truth outside of me because I don't always trust me. And I'd always trust what the enemy may be trying to put a lie in my life. And he will create lies through false teaching, through trauma, through broken relationships, or through a whole lot of unforgiveness patterns that creates bitterness inside of us. So I need a truth that is objective, that which I can measure my reality. The second one is this, and that is that because of that, I need to realize that people may not live what they profess, but they will always live what they believe. Therefore, I need to be careful what I believe. It doesn't really matter what I say. You know, I can say a lot of things. That's one of the things I want to kind of tell you. I've been walking in the wild, and I want to come back and tell you that most of the things people say on social media, they don't actually believe. I, I've actually talked to people who say ridiculous stuff on social media, and they're actually pretty, pretty awesome people when you talk to them. It's just a lot of times folks will say things because of their different reasons. But the thing is, though, it doesn't matter what you post on social media. You will always live what you believe, which is why I need something outside of me that can be a truth to help me stand in victory. Because here's the reality, and that is people don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. Because not only do we have different filters that the enemy wants to bring lies into our life, but we also have our own filters because of our lived experience, where now we see things differently. We, the truth becomes distorted because of our experiences. And so I need a truth that's outside of me. Let me give you one more. And the good news is, is that the enemy's top weapon is deception, that we will actually live what we believe. And for a Christian, God's word equals truth. God's word becomes a dependable, sure foundation that is not my weapon and it is not my trophy, but it becomes a, a utility that I can put around me and it holds everything else together. This is what Jesus said about his truth. And that is that, that he is the way Jesus says he is the truth and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through me. Can I tell you what I love about that truth is it is non-negotiable. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter what I want to say about it. It just is, and I can decide what to do with it, but I don't get to change it. I love that because I need a truth that I can, I can run up against every once in a while and remind me where my guardrails are in life. This is what God's word says about itself, all scripture. And if you're, you're taking analog notes, I wanna circle that word all. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize, man, where we're going wrong in our lives. And it corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so God's word says of itself that it teaches us what is true. And as Jesus said, when we know the truth, it has the ability to impact our lives. When we know the truth, it sets us free. And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at three lies that the enemy tells us all the time. 
And then I, was, I had so much fun researching what a, a Roman uh, belt would do. And there were three main things that a Roman belt would do for a soldier that I think works really, really well to help us get our minds around what the truth of God's word, when used what, in its proper way, helps us in our life. And so here's the, here's the first thing, is God's word teaches us that when we stand in victory, because we stand in victory because knowing God's truth sets me free by revealing a dependable foundation. It reveals a dependable foundation. What's the, the lie that the enemy wants to tell us is that you can't know truth, that it's impossible to know truth. Therefore, your life is constantly shifting. Your life is constantly uncertain. Your life is constantly at the whim of whatever's going on, and you must constantly be afraid because you don't know where to put your feet in storms. The truth is, is that God's word reveals to us a dependable foundation. What I love about the, uh, the armor when I was looking through this is that a Roman's uh, belt doesn't look like our belt. It's a simple piece of fake leather that just goes right here. The reality was is that the belt was a piece of armor that went just below your ribcage and it went just above your, uh, your, your kneecaps. This whole area was one big thing that equaled the belt. And what was amazing about that belt is not your shoes, but your belt was the foundational piece of armor because almost every other piece of armor was attached to the belt in some kind of way. What, what the belt did is it kept the breastplate right where it was supposed to be. It also connected uh, down to where your, your foot straps would come up almost to there. And then what else it would do is it protected this area. And it was also where you would put your, sh- your, your sword when you weren't using it. It would stay right there on your belt. There was a hook on this side so that if you were on a long march and you didn't want to carry your shield, you could hook it on your belt so that while you were marching, your faith, your shield was founded on the truth and you could walk better. If you had a spear, there would be a loop right here where you could also put your spear so that it would go with you. So it's more like a Batman utility belt than anything else so that whatever you needed that's where it was. If you had money, you strapped it on your belt. If you had other things, you put it on your belt. It was the foundation for everything. If you didn't have a belt, you didn't go to war because you didn't have what you needed. And for many of us, the reason why we're not able to stand in victory is because we don't have our belt on. And because we don't have our belt on, we don't know what to do with our righteousness. We don't know what to do with the gospel. We don't know what to do with the Bible. We don't know what to do with our faith. We don't know how to do anything because we didn't start with having the belt of truth because the belt of truth is a dependable foundation. Jesus said it like this. He gets through preaching the longest sermon uh, in the Gospels from Matthew 5 to the end of 7, and he says this. He says, now, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, they're foolish. They're like a person who builds their house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So notice Jesus saying that, listen, man, I know life is difficult and I know that there's storms all over the place, but I've got good news for you. If you will listen to what I'm saying and do what I'm saying, it is like digging down through all the sand and finding hard rock and then putting your life on that rock so that when storms come, 
This is one of the lies that the enemy will tell you, which is why when you don't have that belt of truth on, you can't stand in victory. There's a lie of the enemy that says that if you're a Christ follower, you're not supposed to have any problems. There's not supposed to be any storms in life. There's not supposed to be anything difficult in life. Can I tell you, that's not in the Bible. That is a lie of the enemy that he will use to discourage you in your walk with God because Jesus just said the opposite. He said, when, not just a gentle golden ray of sunshine slash rain, but no, 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 when it is so difficult that other things have been washed away, those kind of storms are coming. But the good news is, is that when your foundation is solid, you're not gonna go anywhere. That the wind is gonna blow. It's gonna mess your hair up, but you're not gonna go anywhere because you're solid. But here's the thing. You notice that he said, but there's a lot of people listening. But he noticed he said, if you listen, but decide you wanna do it your way. You, you listen, but you decide to follow your own way that you don't follow it. Well, here's the thing. You're not gonna be founded on the sand, I mean, on the, on the rock, but on sand. And so when difficult storms come, you're not gonna be able to stand in the victory that God has for you. Is it possible that the reason why the storms knocked you over wasn't because God wasn't faithful, but if you fall into the same category I fell in before, I didn't prepare myself beforehand. I didn't found myself on God's word. And so the storm knocked me down and then I blamed it on God. Because the reality is, is that there's gonna be storms. I just name a couple. There's the winds of culture. There's the rain of fear and pain. There's floods of personal tragedy. And there's all these different things that's gonna happen. And unfortunately, the reality is, is that if we put our life on subjective truth, it's like sand. And it's gonna, it's gonna mess us up. And it's gonna make us not, not be able to stand strong. And here's the thing. I'm fine with subjective truth when it's us debating back and forth about which is the best restaurant in Bowling Green. I don't know which one that is for you. I've got mine, you've got yours. Subjective truth is fine. But I need something stronger than my opinion when it comes to how I need to raise my kids, when it comes to how I'm supposed to treat my spouse, when it comes to what I'm supposed to do when I'm walking in unforgiveness and I know it, but I don't know what to do about it. I need objective truth in my life that tells me what I need to know when it works for me and tell me what I need to know when it doesn't work for me, but it's still true. If, if what you believe always agrees with you, always, it might not be true. But if you believe God's word and when it agrees with you, it's awesome. And when it doesn't agree with you, it doesn't change. That's truth. Because I need something sometimes to tell me, hey, Brandon, you've gotten off course just a little bit. And you need to get back on course because there's freedom right here in this. And that's why we stand in victories because we put on the belt of truth. And you've got to make up your mind what truth is. But I believe according to God's word is an objective standard by which I measure reality. And God's truth is that solid foundation. And so I want to give you a, a test real quick that you can, uh, you, you can cheat on, I guess, but, uh, but it's, it's like a personal thing. And that is, how can I tell if my life is founded on God's truth? So I'm going to ask you some things, and that is just, you know, for yourself, do you agree with God's word or your word on the following? Okay, here it is. So the first three, salvation, lying, adultery. Easy, right? Of course, of course I agree with God's word when it comes to salvation. Faith alone and Christ alone through grace alone. Yes, that's awesome. I completely stand on that. I am good. Throw me another softball. All right, lying. All right, whether or not you do it, you know whether or not it's right. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, I'm not talking about whether or not you do it. I'm talking about do you believe it should it be right or wrong? Well, God's word says that it's not good. I'm, I got no problem with that, man. Sure foundation. I trust God's word. Adultery. Okay, look, man. All right, of course, 
someone commits to doing life with somebody and then they're not faithful to them, that's wrong. I get it that that's a difficult thing, but it's true, all right? That, that's true. That's an inconvenient truth. There it is. Okay, great. So far, we're three for three. All right, well, now let me um, offend myself and you at the same time. How about those? <laughs> Tithing. Well, I mean, yeah, when I've got extra. <laughs> or yeah, when gas prices aren't $3 million a you know, for what, but no, not now. Well, remember, tithing's got nothing to do with the money. It's got to do with God's place in your heart. And it's got to do with you trusting him. Well, I mean, I trust him, but I don't, I, I, uh, I know, right? It hurts. But it's, it's, it's absolutely true. Is, is God's word true or is it not? How about this one? Forgiveness. Well, I think sometimes we all struggle with forgiveness because we don't know what it is. We think that forgiveness is saying that it's okay or it didn't hurt or we're going to be friends again. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a decision we make that says, I refuse to let what you did to me determine my future. So instead, I am going to make a choice to release you, but I'm not releasing you and letting you go. I'm releasing you and giving you to God. And he knows how to get your number a whole lot better than I do. And I refuse to be defined by what you did. And that's what forgiveness is. How dare you tell me to forgive? You don't know what they did to me. You're right. And according to my subjective truth, I wouldn't forgive them either. But thank goodness we've got God's word that tells us what we need to do and how we can walk in it. Let me give you one more. June, Gay Pride Month. Brandon, why are you talking about this? Because it's everywhere. Because our culture's talking about it. And if we can't talk about it in church, where are we gonna talk about it? You know, so we need to talk about it. And that is this. Why is it that I can be grieved over somebody not believing what God's word says about salvation? I can grieve over lying. I can grieve over unforgiveness, unfaithfulness. I can grieve over all of these. But if my heart grieves because God, God's word says that anything outside the heterosexual union of a man and wife is a broken sin, why can't I grieve over that? I can love you. I can walk with you. I will sit and I will cry with you. And you don't have to agree with me. But I don't always agree with me either. I don't have an opinion. I have a Bible. And so I decide to, to believe the Bible. And the Bible never says that we use the truth to beat people up with it. But it does say we have to live by it. And so why can't I, my heart break over somebody that's, that, that celebrates something that God's Word says is a sexual brokenness? And that might have been the one that was hard for you. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying you need to go to God's word and decide if his word is trustworthy. And if it's trustworthy over one thing, it's trustworthy over all things. And so you have to decide what does that mean for you? Because that's a question that is going to come up in your life. And so you have to decide, is it a dependable foundation or is it not? Here's the second thing. And that is that it reveals the gift of others in my life. We stand in victory. Because knowing God's truth sets me free by revealing the gift of others. Do you know what the lie the enemy wants to tell you? He wants to tell you, first of all, that all truth is subjective, which means there's no way to have a foundational truth in my life. I, I can never plant my feet anywhere if I believe his lie. The amazing thing is the truth is that God's word is a dependable foundation. In other words, it's provable, which means put God to, his test, to the test. Live according to the truths of God's word and see what happens in your life. The second thing he wants to lie to us and tell us that you're all alone. You will always be alone. You can't depend on anybody. Nobody is gonna walk with you. No one is gonna do life with you. No one can be there for you. You must always be separated from other people because people will always hurt you. That's the lie the enemy will say. You know what the truth of God's word is? The truth of God's word is that there is a place where you can find a home and it's in the body of Christ. The second thing I love about the, uh, the belt of truth is not only was it a, a, a place where you know, it held everything together, 
But it was also where if you were to be in a battle and you won a medal or an award, they, did, they wouldn't put it up here on the breastplate because that was very either metal or it was very, very thick and hard leather. So they wouldn't do it like they would do now. Instead, they put it on a loop on the belt so that you would see somebody and go, hey, man, I was in that battle too. Man, we're brothers. If you were part of a legion, they would, have, they would have either a stamp that they would burn onto your belt or they would be something that would hang down and you would know, hey, man, we're part of the same legion. We're, we're on the same side. We're brothers. We're sisters. And what the body of Christ needs to realize is that when we line up with the truth of God's word, we find out that we were never intended to do life alone. We were intended to walk with one another. This is what God's word looks like in, in James chapter 5. It says, are any of you sick? Are any of you have any, any difficulties, any issues in your life? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death. That's what the church is supposed to look like where we actually call each other brothers and sisters. Now, when I was growing up, I went to one of these country churches where we would always say brother or sister. So it was Brother Brandon or Sister Autumn. And I'm not saying we need to do that again, because I'll be honest with you, every time I'd bring a friend of mine to church, they thought that we were a cult. <laughs> you know, we're like, hey, man, listen, why you be, hey, y'all don't like brothers. It's like, I know, it's a thing, don't worry about it. I'm not saying that we need to do that, but I'm saying is, you know what the enemy has tried to do to the church, the big C church, not us? We're fighting against this in Jesus' name. That's why we're launching life groups together. But the church has been through so many scandals and so many difficulties and so many painful things and, and, and all of this you know, over-marketization of stuff that now church is a country club with weekend concerts. And it, is, it has ruined the, the family and the, the idea of what church is supposed to be, where the church is supposed to be a place where you're my brother and you're my sister. Because the enemy, the lie is, is that you can't trust people and that you don't have time and that you don't, get, that you don't need to get hurt again. The truth of God's word says the church is supposed to be a place where we gather together and don't give up on each other, where we walk together in grace-filled truth, and when we run, we run off and we get distracted, we go find each other. We say, hey, man, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on what's going on. So instead, man, we're going to lock arms, because you know what the enemy wants you to do? Is he wants you to think that when you're in this spiritual war, that you are standing all alone on the battlefield, and you're standing, and you got your armor on, but when you put the belt of truth on, you know what it does? Is it opens our eyes to realize we're not standing by ourselves, but we've got our brothers and our sisters on our right and on our left, and we are a mighty army if we can see each other. And we can't see each other if we get so busy with all these other things that we can't come back to the idea that you're my brother and that you're my sister. And that's what founding our lives on God's truth does, is it helps us to realize I was never meant to do life alone but we were meant to do life together because I need you. I need you to watch my left and I need you to watch my right so the enemy doesn't knock me off of my place of victory. The third thing is not only does the truth of God's word give us a dependable, a dependable foundation, it helps me to see my brothers and sisters, but the third thing is, is we stand in victory because knowing God's truth sets me free by revealing the freedom of repentance. The freedom of repentance. So what I was saying to you beforehand, the lie of the enemy that all truth is subjective and now, now we don't have a sure foundation to stand on. God's word is actually a dependable foundation because you know, as like the Roman armor, that's where everything else would be. And then the second one was, 
is that not only is, are, are we at a place where we can stand on a dependable foundation, but I'm not standing alone. I've got you on my left and on my right because you can see. You can see because of the, what I have on the truth is I can see where we're connected. The third one is, is we don't do this anymore, but back in the day, they would wear really long shirts called tunics. And they would wear it underneath their armor. And it would go all the way down past their knees sometimes, like a nightshirt. A lot of times, if you see some of these things, it was, it was really, really long. And what would happen is if you went and got into a fight, what, what it would do is it would keep you from being able to move. Kind of like me when I was doing the penguin walk, you know, because my, my pants were too far down. It keeps you from having free mobility. And so what they would do is they would take their tunic and they would stuff it up under their belt so that they could have freedom to move. So if they needed to move quickly, they could. If they needed to stand their ground, they could. If they needed to widen their stance, they could. Because everything was out of the way so they could fight with freedom. And one of the things that I see happening in the big church today is there is such an interesting idea that some of us have with the idea of staying clean and walking repentance before God. There's, there's people who on one side think that, that that's all God is after and I never can walk in joy because I'm never going to be good enough. And then there's the other side that thinks that it's no big deal. Here's what God's word says. Is it says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So in other words, the idea is, is of course, of course, from time to time, we have sin in our lives, of course. So, so do, are we afraid of the judgment of God or do we think that, God doesn't care. Well, this is what God's word says. But if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just, and he forgives our sin, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What I love about that is God takes this serious, but he doesn't take it out of a place of judgment, but out of a place of healing. And what I, what I hate so much about what the enemy does is the enemy wants to distort one of the most beautiful things about our relationship with Jesus. And that is that he understands what we go through. The Bible said in Hebrews that we don't have a high priest that is not acquainted with our sufferings, but in every way was tried and tested, yet without sin. Which means whatever you're going through in your life, Jesus gets it. He, he gets what betrayal looks like. He gets what fear feels like. He gets what bitterness can feel like only without sin in his life. But the problem is the enemy wants to distort that beautiful relationship with God. And he wants to make it look like one of two things. So the number one is the lie that Jesus demands perfection. I can't serve God. I've got to keep him at an arm's length because, man, it seems like Jesus demands perfection. And I'm never going to be perfect, so why am I even going to try? And just constantly living in condemnation all the time. Shame and condemnation. You know what the truth is? Jesus isn't interested in your perfection. He's interested in your progress. Do you know why he hates sin? It's because sin distorts your relationship with him. Sin separates you from him. Sin is broken places in our life. Why wouldn't the great physician want to heal us? But he understands that healing is a process. And if it takes the rest of your life, he's so committed to you that he's willing to play the long game and slowly walk with you toward healing. So if you're in here and the enemy has lied to you and has said that you can't have a relationship with Jesus because he demands perfection, don't believe that lie anymore. He sees, he saw you on your worst day and he said, I still want them. I still believe in them. I still have enough power to wash away their sin. And he is interested in your healing and your wholeness. 
The other side of that is the lie that says, Jesus doesn't care, party on. You know, I am old enough to remember the phrase, party on, Wayne, party on, Garth. That's old, okay? Most of y'all have no idea, and that's a good thing, all right? But there was this idea that the party never stops, right? And there is this unfortunate thing that's happened in the body of Christ where we've taught all about salvation but not taught anything about walking toward freedom. And so we just have this idea that Jesus likes it. And so it's like, you know what, man? Jesus doesn't care about my sins. I'm just going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going. And if when we sin, if it doesn't grieve us, then we don't know what salvation is. Because we realize that salvation was free to you, but Jesus was tortured for six hours on a cross after being whipped within an inch of his life, after being beat up in front of a puppet trial that was waiting. It wasn't just the cross. It took a lot to just get him there. And the idea of, of thinking that Jesus just died so that we can sin without guilt is not true. That was like standing in front of the cross and saying, Jesus, since you're already dying, can I stab you again? Hey, look, you're already up there. Can I throw something at you? Can, can, I, can I hit you? That's what happens when we knowingly sin. That's my Jesus we're talking about. I don't want him to go through any more pain. He went through enough for me. But don't swing too far the other way. He doesn't demand your perfection either. He just says, let my sacrifice mean something so that you walk toward wholeness every single day. And so for some of you who you're far from God, you, you love Jesus, but you think that the truth is is that he doesn't like you because you're not perfect enough. Can I tell you there's grace for you? And Jesus has never been more in love with you than he is right now. And he is interested in taking you by the hand and walking you toward freedom every single day. Don't let the enemy lie to you anymore about that. But for some of us, who think that Jesus died so we can sin without guilt, don't do that to my Jesus. Don't stab him again. Don't crucify him afresh. But every time we sin, we come back to him and we say, Jesus, I'm so sorry I did it. Hey, I'm so, so very sorry. Hey, no, 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 I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm just, I forgive you. I forgive you. All the stuff you did, it's okay. It's okay. Come on, let's keep walking. Let's keep walking. Jesus, I'm so sorry. Hey, it's great. I already forgave you. It's good, it's good, it's good. Let's keep walking together because that's how much he loves us. That's what the belt of truth is. And can I tell you in my life, I've spent so much time feeling good about the righteousness of God and feeling good about the, you know, the, we're gonna talk about our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's awesome. Love talking about faith. I love talking about the word of God. But man, all my clothes were messed up because I didn't have any truth on I didn't, I didn't have my mind made up about some things. And I spent a whole lot of my life like I did in the airport, running and not getting very far because I don't have my belt. My belt's right here. It's, it's right here the whole time, but I didn't put it on because I didn't put it on. Man, I, I embarrassed myself in front of people. I had folks asking me for help. All I could do was just grunt and keep going. And then, and then sometimes I get into church and I look so messed up, people looking at me, they just start laughing. Hey, look, man, it's fine. Go, go, just go, go, go be with Jesus. Just go fix yourself. You're a mess. You know, you know why? Because the whole time I had the truth right here. But I never got it in here. And you know what God's word has to say for us? He has made us more than conquerors. That we stand in victory. But we need to stand in victory with our armor on. And the first thing we got to put on is the belt of truth. You need to decide 
what truth is. Is it a construct that you decide what it is? Is it subjective? Truth is only truth based on your experience. Or is truth objective? It stands apart from you. It doesn't care how you feel. I don't mean that to be rude. I'm just saying it's dependable because I'm not always dependable. So I need a truth that's there. And you know what I love when I found my life on the truth of God's word is I realize it is a solid foundation. I can put my hope there. I can put my family's hope there. I can put my dreams and my joys and my pain there because it's not going anywhere. Then when I dig into God's word and I open my eyes, I see that I've got brothers and sisters all around me. I don't have to do life alone. That doesn't mean we always agree, but that means we're walking in the same direction together. And then it helps me realize that my relationship with God was robbed from me for years because of the lie I believed that Jesus either demanded perfection or wasn't interested in my life, only to realize that he is interested in my wholeness. And so I can walk into his presence with complete honesty and say, God, fix me. I'm ready. And you know what he does? Is he walks with me. And in just a moment, the band is gonna lead us in a song of worship. And I'm really trusting the Holy Spirit to tell you what you need to do next because I have no idea. This is a defining moment for some of us because we have a culture all around us that wants to tell us exactly what truth is, but it doesn't line up with God's word. And what you need to decide is what are you gonna do? Now I'm gonna tell you what happened in my life is I needed to come before Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus? I admit that sometimes because of the pressure to conform and the pressure of what I want to be true and all this kind of stuff, sometimes I take myself off the foundation of your word. And I don't even realize it. It's one small step at a time, but, but before I know it, I'm way over here in the sand. And I just had to say, God, I decided to put my, my faith in you. And I come back and I stand on the words that I like and I stand on the words that I don't because you have proven yourself trustworthy. Is that what you need to do? Do you need to trust God again? Maybe there's some pain in your life. There's some unforgiveness. There's some, some trauma. I don't know what it is. And you've been wondering what to do with it. Can I tell you? God's word, God's love for you is strong enough for any weight that you carry. But you gotta stand on it. I don't know what your next step is. What I do know is in just a moment, there's gonna be people in the back that if you would like someone to pray with you about it, they'll hold your hand. They're not gonna embarrass you, but they're gonna pray with you. Maybe you're gonna to need to come up front. Cause you know what that is? That's just getting God involved in the process. It's just making a public show of, you know what? I am walking away from whatever it was and I'm just giving it to him. That's why I come down here every Sunday is I put you at his feet every Sunday and I say, Jesus, it's the best I could do. Now you take it from there. It's just getting God involved in the process. What next step do you need to take? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word and thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that in this moment you see us and you know us. God, I'm thankful that your truth in our lives is a sure foundation. God, I will admit that that is so easy to say and it can be so hard to work out in my life. What I love about you, God, is that you don't give up on us. You don't step away from us. You step in. You walk with us. And I'm so thankful that your love for us is yes and amen. God, as we get ready to sing this song of worship, Holy Spirit, I trust you to tell us what our next step is. For some of us, we need salvation. We're walking in, in sin and we know it. But God, we just heard your words as you're not mad at us. You're in love with us. As we run to you, meet us. 
For those of us, God, maybe we've gotten 1% off. It's time to come back. It's a hard thing to do. Meet us here. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Let's worship the Lord together in this moment.